Happy, happy day. day. Oh, happy day. <laughs> happy day. <laughs> Discover a life-giving local church where, you're, where you will find the community and support that you've been looking for. Yeah. Join us at our services at Mayo High School on Sundays at either 9.15 or 10.45 a.m. We're so eager to meet you guys, and we want to extend a warm welcome to the Echo Church family. Yes, at Echo, we hope you'll find your place, people, and your purpose, experiencing a true sense of belonging while building friendships and finding support. We believe this is what we're all seeking, and we can't wait to share it with you. We cannot wait. Your donations mean the world to us. To be quite honest, this wonderful community of hope simply wouldn't exist without your ongoing financial support. Yes, and we invite you to head to our website or Venmo us at We Are The Echo Church. Let's come together in generous obedience and continue to make a difference. Yeah. Enjoy, Enjoy service. Have service. fun. You was my cross you bore, so I could live in the freedom you died for. And now my life is yours, and I will sing of your goodness forever. Jesus, you deserve the praise.
so glad that you're here. Uh, today, we are ending our Good Life series, uh, really our methodical, uh, really seeking and searching and asking through the book of First John. And I'm just going to jump into the text. Um, so if you don't mind, just open up to First John chapter 5, First chapter, chapter uh, 5, and, uh, and kind of hang, hang tight here. We're going to read through the, the whole text today. Um, First John chapter five says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love, we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands. And verse three says this, in fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome for everyone born of God overcomes the world. Uh, I'm gonna continue reading this here in a moment, but last night I, I tried to get to, to bed at a decent hour on Sunday nights or Saturday nights and I was laying down, it was about 9.50 and I probably fell asleep within five minutes and at about 10.15 I hear cock-a-doodle-doo. <laughs> And it is my second born child in the room next to me screaming it at the top of her lung. And how many parents out there, you know how I felt? You know what I'm saying? You all know, you know what I'm saying? I got up, I wasn't very happy, got out of my bed, went over into the hallway, peeked my head through the door, and I was like, girls, please knock it off. Like, can you just go to bed? You know, and, uh, and I was just so aggravated and they obviously got the point. And I went and laid down and just as I was laying down, literally Kaya screams, dad, I love you. And I was like, no, there is no love tonight. No love tonight. Now, what I, I wish I would have had this more in my mind, I would have said, you know what? This is love from God to keep my commands. Like, if you love me, then keep my commands. And every parent out of here, say amen. 
you love me, keep my commands. Uh, that'd be a good one to memorize. Uh, this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Verse 5 says, who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater. Everybody say amen. Because it is a testimony of God which he has given about his son. Verse 10. Whoever believes in the son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about the son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. Come on, someone. God has given us eternal life. I mean, that's a promise. And this life is in his son. And whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. In verse 16, this is where I want to dial in today. If you see any or brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin, and anyone who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Verse 20, we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourself from idols. Come on, someone, let's celebrate that we just read the full book of 1 John this summer. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> we did it. And uh, man, I, there was a few things that kind of stuck out of the text to me, and I'm sweating a little bit because I, I kind of... I mean, I know what I just preached this last uh, hour, and, and I'm just thinking a little bit about like how intense the message is today. Uh, uh, but I just feel, and I got stuck on that verse 16 uh, verse that says, if you see sin, if you see sin. See, the greatest trick that sin has played on us is to convince us that sin does not exist. Do y'all hear just what I just said there? The biggest trick it plays is to convince us that it does not exist. And if sin does not exist, everything around us could be the problem. See, the big idea today is this, is sin sucks the life out of you. Come on, someone say amen out there. I'm telling you, if you've bought into the lie, 
that sin isn't the problem, then it is so easy to look at your spouse and to begin to believe that she or he is the problem. If sin isn't the problem, it is so easy to get caught up in this idea that guess what, man, I am so stressed and, and my life is being sucked away from me because I've been going to school again. How many are glad you're back at school? No one said anything. Perfect, played well, played well. But it is so easy to get caught into this lie that everything else except the issue is the problem. And I'm saying it's the church can become the problem, the culture is the problem, your busy schedule, the government all of a sudden becomes the problem, your kids, your neighbors, and you start believing the lie that everything else except sin is sucking the life from you. And, you know, honestly, sin sucks your heart dry. That's what I want to tell you today. Sin sucks your heart dry. Sin sucks. And it is at the root of all of your problems. Is anybody glad you came to church today? (laughs) So let's jump into this idea about sin. I want you to understand a little bit better. Um, I think sin does... If we understand sin, we understand what sin does, and there's three things it does. I'm just going to tell you, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about the Genesis story. Sin separates, sin is insincere, and sin will always numb. We see these ideas in the Genesis 3 narrative where Adam and Eve are placed in the garden, and they can eat of every tree except this one. And they stumble upon it, or maybe intentionally they come up to it, and, and, and Eve sees it, that it's pleasant for eating and pleasant to the eye, or good for eating and pleasant to the eye, and then all of a sudden the enemy, the, the serpent, start having a conversation, and, start, and, and obviously this is where temptation comes into play, and, and, and essence prods and promises that if Eve, Eve eats of this, then her eyes will be open and she will be as God is. And, and so you know that story. If you do, it's, it's, it's Eve eats it and then, and then goes and hands it to Adam and Adam eats it. And then, and then all of a sudden they're in the garden and they're naked and ashamed. And their first reaction is to reach for whatever's closest and to cover themselves with fig leaves and hide behind bushes. And then when God reenters the proximity of the garden in which they're found, he asks this simple question, where are you? And it states that they are in fear. For that is what sin does. See, what sin does is it separates. Let me talk about this whole concept of separating. Sin separates not it doesn't only separate us spiritually, but I need you to see that this Genesis narrative really is this presentation of separation relationally, not just with God. Okay, we do see that sin separates us from God. Richard Foster says this, sin is not, pri- the, um, sin is not primarily breaking rules, but breaking relationship with God, with ourselves, and with God others from you and God. It, it separates you from being perfect and holy as God has created you and ordained you to be under his blood. 
But it also, and this is where I really need you to hear today, is because some of you, you just think your spouse or your girlfriend, your boyfriend is the problem, or your boss or your, your employees or your bus driver is the problem. I believe sin divides you relationally because what it does is it encourages you to be selfish. Sin will always encourage conflict and sir, uh, sin will encourage you to harm the other so that you might benefit yourself. Sin relationally separates you. And then the third is sin will also separate you from you. I believe that God has created you inherently Good, And I do believe in inherent bad, but what happens is sin comes in and it separates from the, or really God's ordination of you being good. He desires and he's created you to have a clean heart, to have a good, have good attitudes and to live a life that is pleasing to him. But what happens is this, is sin enters the heart and starts hardening it. And it is so difficult us, uh, difficult for us to not be separated from those three entities. What else does sin do? Well, sin is insincere. Tim Chester says this, sin always promises more than it delivers. I believe sin is the ultimate con artist that befriends you. I don't know about you, but I've heard of some horror stories of con artists uh, really connecting with a lot of times, I, a lot of these stories that I've heard actually with some elderly individuals. And I've heard of stories where con artists will enter into a relationship with a lonely widow and literally tens of thousands, or even I've heard of hundreds of thousands of dollars being ripped off in the name of fake love. That's what sin does. It's just what it does. Uh, I got to have, a, I got to confess uh, to you here. Uh, just a couple, maybe uh, about a year ago, I received an email and I'm ashamed to say it, but it was by um, a, a lady who actually reached out and said, I have a grand piano and I would love to donate it to your church. And, and honestly, it was, it was kind of in the transitional period of moving out of the castle and coming into, uh, you know, back into portable church. And, and honestly, I was just kind of looking like for a sign from the Lord that he still loves us. And, and, uh, uh, and, uh, anyway, I get this email and I'm like, oh man, well, this is, that's cool. Man, God wants to give us a piano before he gives us a building. I'll take it. Yes, Lord. You know, but the problem is now we no longer have a building. And so like, as I got that email, I got a little pumped and I contacted a few people with some bigger houses that I know. And I said, hey, would you ever want to put a baby grand piano in your house for a season until we could actually use it and put it into a building that we'll purchase one day? And, uh, and, and uh, one of my friends who's a little bit more savvy, savvy and a little critical than, more critical than I am, he decided uh, to Google um, person donating uh, piano, baby grand piano to churches. And what do you find on Google, man? It was the scheme of all schemes. And, and some of you, you're like, man, Andy, you're so gullible. Yes, we all are. We buy into what sin presents all the time. Sin is insincere. 
It will always overpromise and underdeliver. That's what it does. Some of us, we've dealt with some addictions in our life. And uh, I, I just kind of look in here to some of the younger generation in the church. Um, I was kind of wondering if some of us have dealt with addiction and you know, overcoming obstacles or sin in our life could all agree that there are things and there are doors that we should never open because if we open them, they may never be shut. Can someone say an amen? amen. And that's what sin does. Sin promises that you will achieve something or experience something or be able to, 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 to reach this certain standard, but it will never, you'll never achieve what it promises because sin is not just destructive, it's reckless. It's thoughtless abuse of a gift given in love. That's what Eugene Peterson says. Uh, David, uh, Paul David Tripp says this, sin is the ultimate cancer. Sin is the ultimate bomb, leaving a trail of destruction in its path. Sin is the ultimate pandemic, infecting everyone, leaving everyone sick. Sin is the ultimate cur curse, sentencing everyone to death. Sin is the ultimate deceit, telling us endless lies and making promises it cannot keep. Sin is the ultimate interruption, changing the human story forever. And the DNA of sin is selfishness. Sin causes me to shrink my world down to my size and into my wants and my needs and my feelings. And, and what I want to just remind us today is that we are at war. That the, that the enemy wants to destroy us. He wants to kill, he wants to steal, and he wants to destroy. And the mechanism he uses is sin. And sin will always attack the heart. And if sin is allowed to live within the heart, it will harden it and that will react and begin to create certain behaviors which can lead to addiction. It can lead to bondage. Bondage, it can lead us to a down a road we do not want to go. Hebrews 3.12 says this, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So how do we deal with sin? Well, it said it in the scripture. It's in, it partly says it in, in 1 John, but then we have to kind of jump into a few other references in scripture to, to maybe find the biblical approach to sin. But the first thing is this. In order to deal with sin, you've got to see it. And if you see it, then we should pray about it. You know what I'm saying? And, and some of you are like, well, okay. So if I see someone else sin, should I, should I address somebody uh, about that? Well, actually, 1 John says that maybe sometimes certain sin you probably Probably let God just deal with it. Do you know what I'm saying? At the same time, I want to present this idea that the, the people, what we should be doing individually is we should intrinsically look within and say, God, am I dealing with some heart sin issues? And if so, Lord, I am going to approach you versus run away from you. 
that although it is our natural disposition to run away from sin, God is presenting the idea that if you see sin in your own life, to not run away, but to run towards God. Because the answer is when you run towards him and not when you run away. Y'all get what I'm saying there? You guys are so lively today. It's crazy. I mean, this is such a fun topic to talk about. I'm so glad I get to do it. Um, so sin that does not lead to death, you should pray. And, and you know what? Again, this is a war. And, and yes, we should address our behaviors. But with our behaviors, we should see them pointing to heart issues. In fact, if you're a parent in this room and you see some behavior issues with your children, yes, deal with behaviors, but guess what? Have deeper conversations to help your children understand that there are some issues at the core of their being, and not just their core, but our core, that we're all dealing with this deceptive force called sin. See, Jesus, when he dealt with sin, when he was here on earth, uh, the, the leaders of the day, right, the people that were trying to trick Jesus, they caught this woman in adultery, which is just an awkward moment. And, and obviously they want to trick Jesus because all they do is take the woman there and they throw, they throw that woman at Jesus's feet. And I'm, I'm actually, you know, it's, it's probably one of the most emotional stories you'll hear in the scripture. And Jesus has this opportunity to address the sin that's before him. But what he does in that very moment is actually address the sins that are hitting, hidden in each and everybody's heart that was around that moment. It's one of the most profound stories, and I encourage you to read it in Matthew 5. But what he does is Jesus is known to not just build moral fences around behavior, but he creates borders around our hearts. That's what God wants to do. Yes, our behaviors are important, but our heart is at the root of our life and our vitality. The second way to deal with sin is this, is if we are going to confront it in community, then we should do it in a private manner first. Okay, let me just say this to you for some of you that are young and some of you maybe inexperienced, like some of you personally deal with sin and you feel challenged and maybe you feel confronted and, and, and maybe you need to, you know, you'll, you have this moment maybe sometimes in a small group or, or in a group of guys or, or a group of women or whatever it might be, like sometimes you're, you feel made the sense to share your, your dirty laundry and throw it onto a table, but let me suggest that maybe when you're dealing with sin, it's better in the context of a one-on-one -on -one conversation where you can trust an individual to truly <coughs> walk with you patiently. And then lastly, it leads us to partnering. If we're going to deal and overcome with sin in our life, then we have to. We have to partner with someone to overcome and carry the commandments that have been presented by Jesus himself. Verse 16 says this, if you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray. 
then you should pray that God will give them life versus reacting like we can so often do with the desire to confront someone with their faults or make a public announcement or a public post or get caught into sin itself and begin to gossip about the sin that we've observed. That is not the biblical model for dealing with sin within a church community or a general relationship. Matthew 18, 15 says this, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. And if they listen, you have won them over. Galatians 6, 1 says this, teaching us how to confront sin and how to walk with our brothers and sisters. If someone is caught in a sin, you who who, who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Everybody say gently but watch yourself that you may be tempted and carry each other's burdens. See, what I want to tell you today that there is a better way. It feels like kind of a downer message, like, man, we've, we've got to deal with this humongous sin, that, 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 or this humongous, humongous deal that's called sin. But what I want to suggest is there is a better way I don't know if you know this, but, but there are 613 written and unwritten oral laws in the Jewish faith. When Jesus came into that context, into that teaching, you know what he said? You know what? I'm going to prove to you that you cannot do it yourself, but I will purify you by my own blood. That Jesus is in the business of coming to us, wretched individuals, that, that our heart that has been hardened. And what he wants to do today is he wants to come to you and to embrace you and to renew you and to restore you. If we're, if we're going to overcome sin, we, we need to do these four things. We need to Lord, literally say, Lord, start with me. No matter where you are in the process, no matter uh, how deep sin has pulled you to say, no, Lord, would you start with me? Would you purify my heart? Number two, would, as he's purifying your heart, you need to ask God, would you reveal to me all the numbing that has happened and would you restore to me a new perspective and a new trust in your word, understanding that you are the way, you are the truth and you are the life and you are the great physician that can heal a heart that is hurt, a heart that is bruised, a heart that is broken. And third, if we receive the power of salvation, the power of forgiveness, we ourselves need to repent. We need to admit that we are at fault. And we need to ask God, God, will you forgive us? Forgive us, Lord, that we have faulted other people. We've mistreated them. We've mistreated our bodies. We've mishandled our emotions. We have not loved our neighbor as self. We've not loved ourself as you 
desire. You repent, you ask God for forgiveness. You know what's awesome? He is always faithful to give you a fresh start. He is always in the business of renewing your hearts. In fact, I have this image today that, that, that some of us, we walk into church and, and we feel like we're this clay pot that has been cracked. And if you know anything about clay pots, is it's extremely hard to redeem a pot that's been cracked. But what God wants to do, even if the pot is cracked, is to put you back on the potter's wheel. Something that man cannot do, but he wants to recreate and refresh and renew that which has been broken. That's what God can do. In the better way, The better way ends with not just me saying, Lord, I love you and I'm going to keep your commands, but doing it in community. Being surrounded by people who are going to be able to walk that road with you and keep you accountable and understand that you both trust in God and you're both heading in the same direction. Jesus, today, I, I just sense... Um, God, it's a heavy message. I wish you would have had me speak about something else. Let me just make that clear, Lord. But God, I just sense that you are doing a work in us today. God, I just sense that you want to remind us that you're not sitting there in heaven all disappointed, but God, that you're desiring for us to live the good life and the best life that you have ordained for us. But God, we have been focusing on the outward action when the true issue is at the heart. So Holy Spirit, in the way that you do, I just ask that you would just meet us where we're at today. You would soften our hearts. You would soften our minds. And God, as you make us new from the inside out, God, our behaviors will follow. Our relationships will heal. They'll mend. They'll renew. By your hand and your love. Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. Is God good? He is. He loves you. Uh, will you stand up as we pray a prayer? This prayer reminds me today that it's not us that can fix the heart, but it's only by Jesus. And today I just encourage you to allow God back into your heart or your heart for the very first time. Let's pray. Jesus, I surrender. I have more questions than answers, but I choose to follow you anyway. I acknowledge that you lived, you died, you rose again, all with us in mind. I accept the rescue that you offer. Save me and lead me in Jesus' name and his authority, amen. Let's lean into the Holy Spirit and let him continue to work in us today.
lift them up. Give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Show us that's where the miracle starts. Beyond what I want, beyond what I see. The change from my world, can it?
thinking about Andy's imagery of the broken pot. This is cool verse that references us as being jars of clay, and it's not exactly a compliment. In the Bible, it's actually more of a reference to the fact that we're very fragile. Here to admit, I'm kind of fragile, a little sensitive. But there's this cool Japanese art where they take broken pottery and they put it back together and they use a little bit of gold to put it back together. It's called kintsugi. Super cool if you look it up. And it is more valuable than the original pot by the way they put it back together. Now, I am very ready to tell you I'm a broken pot a lot. But I am so grateful that God is ready and able to use a little bit of gold and a little bit of his grace to put me back together and make me useful again. And guess what? Tomorrow when I drop the ball and I break into a million pieces again, guess who's there to pick me up again? And just help me become that that useful piece again and take a step forward. I think sometimes we forget that the God of the universe who created it all is still ready and capable to put your pot back together. You matter. You as an individual. And it doesn't matter what happened before today. And actually in the craziest way, it doesn't exactly matter what happens after today. But today can be the moment where we accept and say, Jesus, I'm in. I'm ready to be fixed in you. I'm still going to fall apart and I'm still going to need you to pick me up tomorrow, but I'm ready to do this with you. And I think that's a powerful metaphor just for life. So for those that said that prayer for the first time, that's you. That's you taking that step. Like you are now the cool pot with the gold lines. You feeling cool about that? I think that's cool. Let's celebrate those people today. Come on. We want to celebrate another group of people that was here for the very first time today. Come on, let's celebrate. Thanks for being here. 